guys, my heart as a church family, um, not just on snow days, but we do things like this more regularly. And for me personally, I think I might have said this before, and I've been in church now, you know, for me since 2000, around the year 2000, so 24 years. Sometimes it irks me a little bit, and churches could seem, uh, for lack of a better word, fake, if we just like always stick to like the same routine where it's like, hey, if we see a need or we feel led by the Spirit to do something like this, we should. Number two, I believe that in church, the whole, the church is supposed to operate where everybody's using their gifts, right? Like everybody's using their gifts. And on Sunday mornings, typically you have like a couple people using their gifts. Number one, I'm using my gift because I'm preaching. The worst team's using their gift. Everybody else is spectators. The one way we block that or stop that is by doing stuff like this, where we all get to use our gifts and pray for one another. And maybe you guys get a word for somebody. You could share that with them. Um, maybe you guys feel like God is prompting you to pray for healing or, in, you know, whatever it is, this is the time to do that. So I like to provide space for that, even though it could be awkward. But as a rule, uh, church isn't supposed to be a place of entertainment for the Christians. It's to be a place of equipping, Right? And so doing things like this, it pushes us a little bit out of our comfort zone. But me personally, if I was looking for a church, I don't want to go to a church that all I do is sit and be entertained. I want to be equipped to be used for the kingdom, right? Um, so yes, uh, that's it. Two other things, announcements I forgot to make. Number one, the partnership meeting is on the 28th of this month. Buyer bylaws, we're supposed to announce that for two weeks leading up to it. So it's the 28th. Uh, also, the other thing is... Um, we are, 1M is doing an evangelism training here on Monday nights uh, for the next eight weeks. If anybody's interested in doing that, it's going to be here uh, for eight weeks straight. And uh, you could sign up online. I think there's a link under this on our Facebook page that I added. Or you could show up and they will not turn you away. And they'll get you your book and stuff. So, sound good? All right. So, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, the book of 1 Timothy, we're in chapter 3. We're working our way through this. Um, so, um, the, 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 today's message is about, like, church leadership. And number one, the question is, is, like, how does the church make decisions? How does the church make decisions? It's a good one. Um, church leadership affects every believer. And you might think, hey, this message is just for leaders. It really is for everybody. It affects every leader. Um, good leadership can equip the church for making a tremendous impact in the community and for the kingdom. And poor church leadership or non-biblical church leadership could lead to a lot of hurt in the church. And if you guys have been around long enough, or if you guys have been in churches long enough or have friends that go to other churches, you can see that there is a lot of people out there with church hurt, Right? And church trauma and saying, hey, I'm never going back to church because this, this, and this happened to me. Um, and even though that's unfortunate, and even though we should find a better church, that's not true. A lot of that is churches operating outside of the way God designed. And so we'll talk a little bit about how God designed churches to work and how churches are supposed to be led. Um, so church leadership is God's design, and it's in His way. And the Bible spells it out. Um, and I think if we leave church leadership up to our own opinions, we're going to mess it up. If we leave church leadership to like, I'm going to model the church's leadership structure after, you know, a business. 
after Apple or after Nichols Supply. If that's how I want to operate our church's leadership, it's not the way God wants it. And a lot of times we do that, right? Hey, this worked for this business, and this is how they're so successful. We should do the same practices here. And the church is not a business, right? The leadership is different. So today talks about this. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I'm going to read the whole passage, 1 through 13. It's up on the screens if you don't have your Bibles. Um, it says this. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, um, other translations use is elder. Um, so it's, it, we're really talking about elders here, but it says overseer. Um, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In verse 8, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of full respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must be they must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of, of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So this passage here is talking about really two different types of leaders in the church. Um, the first is elders, which I'm describing as servant leaders. And the second is deacons, which are leading servants. And so I'll explain these two. But really, this passage is talking about these two separate leaders. Um, so and we'll break this down a little bit more. But the first is elders, which are servant leaders. So... Um, Nearly every church in the New Testament, every church that's mentioned in the New Testament is specifically said to have elders overseeing them. Um, you, the New Testament uses a few different words. It uses the term overseers, elders, pastor, shepherd. Um, all, even if you're reading the, New, the King James Version, it uses the term bishop. Um, but the one thing to realize is when it comes to elders— it always talks about a plurality of elders. Every time it talks about elders, it's always in the plural form. Meaning that when churches were established, like, hey, here's a new church, they were said to have overseers there, plural, that oversee the church. And that means a group of men that, that are God's chosen people to lead the church. Um, meaning the church was never meant to be run by one person. There's not really, never in the church was there meant to be a CEO who oversees the church. And I know, you know, like a lot of churches today have like a lead pastor. You know, like I'm, I'm my title is lead pastor. 
And, but the way we operate is we have a team of elders, and I'm one of the elders on the team. And the Bible said, the elder that, you know, is worthy of his wages, especially the ones that labor in the teaching and preaching of God's Word. And so the way we look at it is I'm one of the elders. I have no more vote than the other elders. I have no more authority than any of the other elders. This is not my church, and I don't make every decision. And some churches do operate like that. And they might say, you know, we operate as elders, but the way some churches operate, which I don't think is the best way, is the senior pastor or lead pastor makes all the decisions, and the elders are just there to give them advice, like advisors. And we, don't, we really don't operate like that. Like all of the elders, and there's, you know, three here in the room right now, that, or four actually, I'm sorry, that, that they know that their job isn't just to support me as I lead the church. Our job is to lead the church, fo- follow God's will, and lead the church collectively as a team. Does that make sense? I know somebody said when we, were, when we moved into this building, and if you guys know, we have a sign out front, and it's just canvas, and it just says Jericho Road Church. That's all it says. And I remember somebody said, well, we got to put your name on it. They're like, we got to put uh, Pastor Jim Zadko, because that's, you know, what other churches is. And I was like, I don't want my name to be on the church. <laughs> and I was telling this person, I'm like, I don't want that, that pressure. I don't want that credit, and I don't, I don't want that glory. But number one, if the pastor's name is on the outside, it kind of tells them this is his church. He makes a decision. It's really not my church. Ultimately, it's Jesus' church, and he assigned elders to oversee it collectively. And I, part of the reason I believe God did that, he knows if one person is leading the church and they're making all the decisions, they will mess up and do something dumb. Right? Like they will lead the church down a path they shouldn't go. And I know that because I wanted to do things that, that I thought were a great idea at the time, and the elders said no. <laughs> And I could probably count on one hand, and I'm like, I might have been frustrated. I might have been like, man, this is such a good idea. And the elders collectively said no. And I'm like, all right. There's been times where an elder has a good idea, and we all collectively say no. So we try to make decisions as a team, sensing where the Holy Spirit's leading. And a lot of time where spiritual abuse happens is one person makes all the decisions without the collection of the elders. If one person makes every decision, who does Satan have to influence to really make things go downhill? Just one person. (laughs) If we operate in our six of us currently right now, if we are operating as God's people, Satan would have to influence all six of us, and that's very uncommon to happen. One of us might be struggling, and the rest kind of put us on the right track. That's why God has a plurality of elders. Um, So the biblical church is not a dictatorship— It's not a democracy where every decision has to be made by all of the church folks. Um, Jesus entrusts elders to lead the church. Okay, so there's four responsibilities of the elders, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 20. Um, If um, if you want to turn there, we'll also have it up there on the screen. But Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 31. Um, And this is a really good charge to the elders. It says this, Keep watch over yourselves, in all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought by, with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves, wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even 
from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that uh, for three years, I have never stopped warning each of you night and day um, with tears. So out of this passage and the previous one, we see four responsibilities of elders. The first is um, to lead under the authority of Christ. To lead under the authority of Christ. So Jesus, it says here in this verse, if we could actually go back to that last passage real quick. Um, I believe it is um, verse 28. It says, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So who selects the elders? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes overseers. So like, how does that look? Well, in the church, you know how I said we have this um, congregational meeting coming up on the 28th? Well, that's where the church comes together and they vote in qualified elders. So um, when we feel like a person is qualified, they're up to be elected and you guys vote on who you want. So with this one, I believe we'll have three elders up for, not, not, up for renewal of their seat. And so if they, you know, there's three positions, three people up for elders, so you're like, well, there's not a vote of who gets it. Well, number one, we don't do it like a popularity contest. We have three person up, and each person can vote yes or no on each person. Does that make sense? And so if a person doesn't get enough yes votes for any reason, they can't be an elder. And so we look at that as the church coming together, praying, trusting in the Holy Spirit over those people. And I believe this week in the newsletter, we'll send out who those are, who's up for re-election, and you guys can pray about it. And that's the way we believe the Holy Spirit selects. Um, you guys get to vote. Um, if there's any reason you guys think somebody shouldn't be an elder, you guys have an opportunity to speak about that or forever hold your peace. Um, so lead under the authority of Christ. Um, elders belong to the church, and the church ultimately belongs to Christ. Number two, uh, care for the body of Christ. Care for the body of Christ. There, and caring for the body of Christ really involves two things. Um, that passage talks about protecting the flock and nurturing the flock. So what are we supposed to protect the flock against in that, according to that verse? Yeah, deception. The other term is that is like savage wolves. It says savage wolves will come into your congregation. And so what does it look like for a savage wolf? Um, obviously, the writer of Acts was not talking about literal wolves coming in. That would be crazy and weird. He's talking about people that are in your church specifically to cause problems. And when we talk about savage wolves, we talk about people that are specifically here to cause division, that are sent here, you know, with bad motives to cause division, or maybe through what they're doing, they're just causing division. Or number two, uh, false teachers. That's teaching something that's completely contradictory to the Word of God. And so elders, and all of you, are responsible for addressing that. They're really, the elders are the front line of spiritual warfare. So, A, if somebody's in here and causing division, what should our response be? Immediately kick them out? I don't believe so. I believe if somebody is here is causing division, the, the Bible says, uh, encourage one another, rebuke one another. And so we should talk to them and say, hey, by what you're, we love you, we're glad you're part of our church, what you are doing is causing division. They're like, how? Because of X, Y, and Z. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I'll, I'll stop that, and thank you for telling me. And then we're good. If somebody, even though they're talked to, does not stop causing division, 
that there is a time to be like, hey, you can't be here anymore because you're causing too much division. Um, you know, you're only here to cause problems. And uh, after much love and after much discussion. And so care for the body of Christ. The other one is teach the word of Christ. The elders um, are here to make sure the word of God is taught, make sure the word of God is uh, preserved. And that's really um, one of my main responsibilities is preaching here on Sundays. And we also have um, missional communities, but it's to build up the church through the word. If we are building up the church in any way without the word, we're not really building up the church. If the word isn't involved, we're just giving self, self-help things. So he's saying um, the word alone has the power to build up. Um, we don't simply follow pastors or elders simply because they have a position. We follow them because they're teaching the Word of God and what they're saying from the Word of God has authority, right? And even like last week, when I have to teach on something difficult, or even this week, I am not teaching my opinions. I am not teaching what I think is right. I am teaching the Word of God. And then we're all called to obey the Word of God, right? And I'm teaching you the best way that um, I know how through prayer. And if the elders think I am teaching something that's off track— they'll say, hey, I think that's wrong. And so we are to teach the Word of Christ to the church to be obedient to that. And the last is to model the character of Christ, to model the character. If you guys look at this passage um, for today, the first part, and I'll read it again, it's mainly talking about the qualifications of an elder. So they're saying, if you guys are looking for somebody to be an elder in the church, here are the qualifications they should meet. If they're not um, meeting these qualifications— it's probably not the right time. Um, we see a list for elders, a very similar list in Titus and in 1 Peter. Um, and there, a lot of them are character qualifications. But it's important to note, in this list of to be an elder, it doesn't say anything about age. It doesn't say that they have to be over the age of 50 or they can't be 20 years old. And it says nothing about age. Specifically, in 1 Timothy, it says, do not let anybody look down on you because of your age. Okay, so it has nothing to do with age. Um, it has nothing to do with wealth. Like the wealthiest people in the church shouldn't automatically be elders. It has nothing to do with that. And it's also not the most popular person in the church. Like, again, it's not a popularity contest. Um, here's, again, and I'm going to read this again in um, verses 1 through 7. And you'll see, do they model the character of Christ in their personal life, family life, social life, and spiritual life? So here it is again. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Um, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, see the children obey him. Um, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family well, how can he take care of God's church um, in verse 5, I get a lot of people asking this because some people feel like they're not qualified to be an elder because their children maybe are in their 20s or in their 30s and they're not following Jesus. And I've had people say, like, well, I'm not qualified. My kids aren't in church or they're not following the Lord. And I believe, personally, through study of this scripture, he's not talking about the kids that are grown. He's talking about if you have kids in your home, see to it that they are— uh, see to it that you are managing your household well. Are they 
Are they disobedient? Are they not, do they not respect you as parents? Are they disobedient in your home? Because they're saying, if you can't manage your own children that are in your house well, how are you going to shepherd the flock? But I believe as parents, we do our best to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And after they're out of your house, their, their, that, their faith is between them and God. Like you've done all you could. Ultimately, it's their decision, right? And they say somebody may not be able to be, a, uh, be an elder because their children aren't following the Lord. It's like, think about everybody who's in church that falls away. If that was all on me, you know, it's, it can't be on you. It can't be on them for eternity because our children ultimately have a choice to make. And we raise them the best we can. And the Bible says raise up children in the way that they should go. And when they are older, they'll not depart from it. I believe that if you raise your children the way they could go, they'll come back. But they might be rebelling for a long time. <laughs> and that's between them and God. So I wouldn't let that disqualify somebody. But the p- children in your home, um, you've got to manage your own household well. Make sure that you are... Um, taking care of them well. Number, uh, verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as a devil. He must also be a good reputation with outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. So this is kind of the model character. And the bottom line is this. What will happen if the church imitates this person? And when looking at elder, what would happen if the church imitates this person? And I could say, um, for our elders we have, I would be completely okay if the whole church modeled their lives after this person. So, and, and that's kind of what we want to look at. And that's kind of the gist of what it's saying. Because bottom line, as the leaders in the church live their lives, people are looking to them, and they're going to be modeling their life after them. So if this is what, if this is how the elders live, I feel like this is okay for me to live as well. And so they're going to be modeling their lives a little bit. But there's a great thought I want to share with you guys. When you guys look at this list and you're saying, what will happen if, if the church imitates this leader? Um, and if, can you go back to one more, that long verse again, um, real quick? So again, all these things, there's a lot here. And if you read the qualifications of an elder, you might be thinking, who could possibly live up to this? Right? Like maybe you're here today, and you're not an elder, and you're like, man, I'm looking at this list. How could anybody live up to this? Like this has to be like Jesus. And here's the thing. Um, uh, is, is Paul here saying that the person who wants to be an elder has to be perfect? No. There's no such thing as a perfect person. Um, the question is, is, are you living your life for Christ? But you're like, hey, I shouldn't be an elder because I'm struggling um, in some way. I'm struggling, you know, I'm struggling here. I, 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 I sin every day. I don't think I should be an elder. And if struggling with sin disqualifies you from being an elder, I should probably be disqualified. (laughs) Because there are sins that I struggle with on a daily basis, right? Like all of these things, I fall short, you know, like maybe in the last month my kid has been said no to something I've like asked them to do. (laughs) Maybe, uh, uh, you know, like anything up here, you know, Maybe I've had a violent outburst and yelled something I shouldn't have in my car because I had road rage, and it's like, am I disqualified? When, number one, each one of us are called to live our lives for Christ. Paul said, among sinners, I am the worst, but by the grace of God, I'm saved. And so the whole point of this is it draws us back to the gospel. It draws us back to the gospel. 
And what I would want to say, what I'd want you guys to model as a church, and what I'd want my sons to model after an elder is, when this elder sins, do they repent? When this elder struggles, do they come back to God? And, you know, I, I like to ask these questions. Um, do they ask for forgiveness? Do they receive forgiveness when they sin? Do they have any secrets? I think in order to be an elder, you can't have any secrets. Everything has to be out there before God and before somebody. And um, so for me, I always ask for forgiveness every day. I, um, I have no secrets, and I have people in my life who know everything about me. So I have a few people who know all of my dirty laundry, and so I don't, like, keep any secrets. Does that make sense? So does this person have to be perfect? No. Does this person have to have a pattern of being faithful to going to God every day with what they're struggling with? Yes. Because if you say perfection, none of us are going to be able to live up to that. Because honestly, in that whole list, that's how we should all aspire to be, right? We should all aspire to those things. Um, and so that's why all of this is only possible as a result of Christ living in his people and of us going to the cross every day. And so the next portion, and I'll hit this real quick because I know we're getting close on our time, is uh, deacons. And this is leading servants. Um, so he goes through in 1 Timothy 13, uh, 1 Timothy 3, he goes through um, the qualifications of a deacon. And the deacons were um, leading servants. So they were people who led other people to serve. And we see this um, because in Acts, in the early church, all of the apostles and the in the people who were preaching and sharing the gospel, they were struggling with feeding the tables and, and the distribution of the food to the widows. And so they elected deacons to serve the food. So in Acts chapter 6, it says this. I think we're going to skip ahead once um, past that one. Yeah, there you go. It says this. In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the uh, Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, all the disciples together, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you um, who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Uh, we will turn the responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, um, and the Holy Spirit. And it says who they chose. In verse 7, um, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Um, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So when we look at deacons, so currently our church does not have deacons. Um, it's something that even after reading this text, I'm like, we should really get back to that because deacons is a great way. We have people that right now operate as deacons, but we don't have a name deacons. And maybe there's a way that we can incorporate deacons and deaconesses into help out more with the leadership of the church. So that's something that we should talk about. At one time, we did have deacons or we started that process. Some of you guys remember that process. But when I was coming here, there was a transition with Justin and I and the deacons sort of fell through the crack. But we have a lot of people here that lead as deacons because what it's talking about here is not just people who serve. Because if you look at this, at this verse, um, 
they had over like thousands of people that they were serving in the early church. They said 3,000 people were just saved before this. And how many people did they elect to deacons? Do you guys remember? Seven. So do you think those seven people served the thousands? No, they believe that those seven led other people to serve. And so they were like leading servants. They led other people. And the other thing is, we are all called to serve in the church. The deacons had a more of a special role of leadership in the church, of leading people to serve. So, um, so when we think of the deacons, I think of this, who we already have. Uh, number one, uh, Don and Lori Hunter, I would say, are deacons because they kind of oversee the parking, parking ministry, so they lead the people that park. Um, Mark Carmine, uh, he oversees the people who work on the building in our grounds. So Mark Carmine sometimes gets crews together to paint, to fix windows, to do things around the church. That would be, he would be like the deacon over the people who serve that way. Um, uh, Jess and even Brian's wife, Janine, uh, but Jess oversees the hospitality team. And so she is the, would be like a deaconess over the hospitality team and leads and schedules all those people to serve. So they lead people to serve. Um, Nate Gilbert with security, uh, Michelle Traeger with coffee, um, even Jackie with the kids' ministry. And uh, I know Tiana even helps with our special events and even our outreaches like the Easter outreach and the fall outreach like the Trail of Treats. So that would almost be like a deacon position over outreach. Does that make sense? So she would help get everybody to serve at those events. So they are leading servants. Um, the three responsibilities of deacons is to meet needs according to the word, support the ministry of the word, and unify the body around the word. A great example of this, of the need for deacons, is I remember a few years ago, I think this was 2019, it might have been our first Christmas Eve in this building, and it was Christmas Eve, and I remember, um, oh, by the way, the worship team can come up and get set, because I'm going to finish this last point. I remember it was Christmas Eve, and I did not want to burn anybody. We didn't have a lot of systems in place since we moved here. And so I'm like, I kept telling people, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of this. So I remember on Christmas Eve, I had to preach the word, which really is something that I try just to focus on. When I'm preaching on Sunday morning, I just try to focus on that, praying, studying, whatever. Um, but I remember I told the coffee ministry that, that morning, I'll take care of the coffee. I remember I told the greeters, hey, I could be out lobbying and greet. I told, uh, I think there was one more. I think we were doing like candles, and I'm like, I'll take care of the candles. It's no big deal. So I remember that specific Christmas, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Like I didn't realize how much work went into the coffee ministry until I did it that morning, and I was just making pots of coffee. And then I'm like, oh no, I got to be out there and greet. So I left the coffee. I would be greeting people, and then I'd run back, and then I'd have to run up there and get the candles and, and pass them out. And I think I've gotten a little better at, like, distributing that, right? So, like, this past Christmas Eve, we have people making coffee. We have people greeting. We have people that are taking care of the candles. We have elders that do communion now. And really, like, for me, for those mornings, I could just focus on the Word. And I can make sure I'm praying. And whoever's preaching, they could focus on that. They don't need to focus on, like, ten other things. And that's kind of what they were saying. And for deacons, it takes the whole church to serve, right? But the deacons lead over the people that do the serving. So like Nate Gilbert, who's in charge of security, he contacts those people. He schedules them. He makes sure, makes sure the doors are covered. He makes sure they, they're trained. He does all of that, and I don't really have to do any of that. And I don't think the elders have to do any of that. That would be considered a deacon position, um, leading servants. So um, this is 
kind of what the two positions we talked about. Um, and the bottom line is this. The church appoints and follows servant leaders. And if, if you're a partner of J-Road, you have the opportunity to do that on the 28th, to pray over and vote on elders and our budget and things like that. And also the church affirms and honors leading servants called deacons who use their gifts to build up the body of Christ. Um, and the other question that comes from the Senate say this, but I'll, I'll wrap it up. Last week we talked about elders. We believe that God, you know, the Bible teaches male elders. Um, that's how we interpret those verses that are, the elder position is reserved for men. We believe that deacons can be men or women. Part of the reason is he talks about that here um, in this First Timothy verse. But also in Romans 16, we see that Phoebe was a deacon. And so we are not saying that women cannot be leaders in the church. Because if you're a woman and you're a deacon, you are leading others. Like there are leadership roles all throughout the church um, for both men and women. So yes, we believe that women can be deaconesses. Um, so I just want to clarify that point. So I'm going to pray now and then we will sing this last song. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this word. Um, God, church leadership is important. It's all about how we uh, guide your flock. God, as me being an elder, um, we see it as a tremendous responsibility to care for your church um, and be accountable to her. God, we pray that you use all of our leaders here, both men and women, to advance your church. And we pray that um, nobody is sitting on the sidelines, but everybody is using their gifts for your body. God, we pray that the church grows, the church advances into new territories and dark places as a result of everybody serving, and not just a few people using their gifts. So God, use us today. Just thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,